It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. A chilly 39 degrees here on Peachtree Street in Midtown Atlanta. Hour number two of Green and Growing starts now. I am happy to be in the studio this morning until 9 o'clock. And Dave Baker's already here. Yeah, there he is. He's already here for the Home Fix It show. He's an overachiever. I walk in like... 15 minutes early for the show, and he's here two hours early. But I've got DeMarco and Ann working the show with me, and you'll talk to Ann when you call 404-872-0750 with any of your garden questions. And I kind of threw out something in the last hour, too. Um, If you don't necessarily have a question about gardening, but something good that we could talk about, garden resolutions for 2022. Yeah, we're like 15 days into the new year, so it's not too late to come up with something that you want to resolve to do. Um, And as it pertains to gardening, maybe something that you want to try for the first time, so you've got some curiosity about, or something you just really screwed up last year, and you're going to do it right and do it better in the new year. And I can help with a lot of things that you may be experiencing trouble with. So 404 8720750. I'm always a resource here on the radio on Saturday mornings, um, mostly live. I think there's 52 Saturdays in a year, and I may take, I don't know, three or four off. Maybe that's it. Um, But also throughout the week, reach out to me on the Facebook page. A lot of you do. Uh, When you search Facebook, type in Green and Growing WSB and like or follow the page. And I, I post a lot of good stuff there and pictures and things I'm doing. Uh, tease ahead to what the show is going to be about. And in the last hour, we heard from Cherokee County Extension agent Josh Fooder talking about home orchards and the new garden area in Cherokee Veterans Park, which I'm really excited to uh, be involved with and go to the ribbon cutting in March and bring you a little more about that. But also coming up at the bottom of the hour, I'm excited to bring Jim Bearden back to the show. A lot of you know who Jim is, trail keeper and uh, a humble brag, Cobb County 2020 Volunteer of the Year for the work that he does at Green Meadows Preserve. And that was one of the field trips I took last year was out to West Cobb at a Green Meadows Preserve. And he walked me around the Bluebird Trails, showed me a lot of really cool, fun things. And there's a Cobb County Master Garden uh, garden set up there as well. And uh, people reserve plots and grow whatever they would like. So I really want to talk to Jim about bluebirds because there's not many birds more beautiful to me than the eastern bluebird. Um, I've seen them in pairs like crazy at my feeders the last few weeks. I really started noticing them right before Christmas. And it does seem that they always travel in pairs, right? So the uh, male is that bright, bright blue, and the female is a little more of a dull bluish gray. But I just love them. And I put out mealworms, dried mealworms, uh, in a special feeder right next to my regular bird feeder, and they go straight to it. So I think they're pretty happy uh, at the Frasca lot. 404-872-0750. So with it being a long weekend for a lot of you, congratulations for those of you who can celebrate a three-day weekend. I get one day. I have Sunday. Sunday is my day of rest. I try not to get on social media, uh, try not to do a whole lot. Sometimes I work here on Sundays. just depends. But a lot of you are off Monday, which is going to work out perfectly because the weather is going to be a little weird. Uh, but barring any crazy weather, Trees Atlanta is planting 350 trees over the long weekend, and they need your help uh, to help honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and grow the urban forest this weekend. You can help plant some of those trees. Uh, if the kids are just cooped up at home and they're bored and you feel that they need to get their hands dirty, I think this is a good project. So you can find out details about that volunteer opportunity at treesatlanta.org and click on calendar. 
And there you see the different sites throughout the city that they're going to be doing some tree planting. Um, and you need to register that you're going to be there what day, what location, and all that kind of thing. And I think that's a fantastic way to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. this weekend. So there you go. I'm sure there's other opportunities as well. I try to kind of uh, stay on top of those and share them with you. So if any other uh, garden groups reach out to me here in the next day or two, I will certainly share that with you on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. So I get a lot of great questions from all of you uh, via Facebook. And I had one in the last week or so from Max. Max sent me a picture of, I think it's an oak tree. He he says he thinks it's a maple, but looking at the height and the size, I do think it's an oak. Uh, It looks pretty healthy, but all the leaves have fallen off. So he took the picture way up in the sky and said, look, I've got this tree. I'm in Roswell. And it's sprouting branches. It's got some weird green growth coming from the limbs. What is that? How did that get grafted onto the tree way up there? What do you think? So I zoomed in and I did, you know, all the leaves are gone, like I said, but I I zoomed in and I see this green stemmy stuff growing from the limbs and it's got almost rounded paddle-like little leaves to it. And then his further picture standing back pointed up at the sky, it's in little clusters, right, on the tips of the uh, the limbs way up there. And I said, you know what, Max, I think you got mistletoe. So no need to do anything to the tree. Um, mistletoe is growing there. It's got kind of a symbiotic relationship with the uh, what I think is an oak tree, but it doesn't matter, the tree. It's actually going to kind of grow off of that oak tree and use some of the nutrients and the water and all of that to successfully kind of sustain itself. And I don't think there's anything you need to do. So that was a really good question. Got me thinking. And another one came from Carolyn. And I haven't had a chance to answer her directly. But she said uh, she's got an idea for my show. And I never turn those down. I love that. Uh, She said during the pandemic, she got into gardening like crazy. Yay. Go, Carolyn. Um, But has an Australian shepherd puppy. So cute. Two common things she believes a lot of people did during COVID. Sure. They get into gardening and maybe they got a pet. So now she's busy Googling all poisonous plants, wondering if I could do a segment on plants and pets and how do people deal with planting when your dog wants to play catch or dig up what you just planted? What are some awesome non-toxic items that you can put in the yard? And I think that is a fantastic question. And lo and behold, Carolyn sent that on January 8th. And then I get the uh, Pike Nurseries newsletter in my inbox just a few days later, like literally January 13th. And Pike Nurseries wants to talk about pet-friendly plants. So that is really a good thing to think about this time of year. And we're thinking about houseplants as well. That's kind of the push right now um, as far as marketing goes, houseplants. So, Carolyn, I do want to delve deeper into this for sure. Um, But Pike Nursery did have some good suggestions for houseplants, the ones that they're telling you are safe. Calathea. Calathea are gorgeous, broad-leafed, Safe house plants for pets, uh, unique colors and patterns on the leaves. Some kind of look like a snake pattern. Um, they have some red, some purples, mostly green. So Calathea is a good one. Succulents. I think most animals are probably going to leave those succulents alone and they need high light, but indirect. And then you just water once or twice a month because they're succulents. So they store all that moisture in their puffy leaves and they're able to just kind of do, you know, hens and chicks. Um, I've got aloe some things like that. Those are pet safe. And also, just a reminder for the ASPCA website, um, when you go to the ASPCA website, they have a very, very good list of toxic and non-toxic plants for cats and dogs. Um, Another one is Peperomia 
That's a fun little house plant as well. There's a variety called watermelon that I'm pretty familiar with. And the, the leaves actually look like the outer rind of a watermelon. So that's kind of cool. Um, and bromeliads, which are kind of like the birds of paradise looking uh, plants with the plumes that are yellow or pink or orange. Those are going to be safe as well. Great for bright kitchens, bright bathrooms. It's very dramatic looking houseplants as well. So, um, and most of the time, the content of the soil, you know, for the dogs that dig, that's going to be okay too. Um, they are going to be drawn to areas where you have added compost to your soil, right? Because that's, you know, nutritious material that is going to smell a little bit different. So Fido is certainly probably going to dig in the areas where you've added compost. So keep that in mind as well. And, you know, Carolyn, she she did something very smart when she sent me that message. She planted a sago palm, but then put, you know, chicken wire around it, piled leaves up around that caged area, and that keeps the um, the dog out of that area. So I think that was very wise, Carolyn. So, yeah, I definitely want to do a longer segment on... Um, you know, the do's and don'ts of having pets and houseplants and things like that. But the ASPCA website, that is going to be the best, most trusted resource for toxic and non-toxic plants for your pets. 404-872-0750. So when we come back, we'll take a question from Terry in Stone Mountain. When's the best time to grow herbs and maybe any suggestions uh, for herbs you want to grow? The sky's the limit. It's whatever your palate can tolerate. It's whatever you think you could, you know, best, most efficiently used in cooking. If you're in the kitchen a lot, you want to grow your own herbs. But we'll talk to Terry about maybe uh, some ways to get started with herbs indoors. 404-872-0750. And when we come back at the bottom of the hour at 730, Jim Bearden from Green Meadows Preserve is going to join me to talk about bluebirds. That's a conversation you don't want to miss. I have so many questions for him, and he's going to have answers and ways to attract them to your landscape as well. It's really going to make you pretty happy from now until the springtime to watch those guys. We'll be right back. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. So stay tuned throughout the weekend right here on 95.5 WSB. And in case of power outages, which are likely to happen maybe in certain areas tomorrow and into Monday, you want to keep your phone fully charged and you can download the WSB radio app and not miss a second of the programming and Christina's weather updates this weekend. That weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. So uh, yeah, we're expecting some cold weather Stay tuned right here. We got you covered. And and I'm doing a little bit of traveling this weekend, which is probably against uh, better advice, but we'll see. I'll be back Monday morning to to handle the roads if you need to be out and about on this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, Monday, federal holiday. So, yeah, I just went through a list of, um, you know, plants that are safe for pets and succulents is on that list. And, uh, you know, not necessarily that, that animals aren't going to go after these plants, but at least if they do, they're not going to be harmed. And sure enough, just got a Facebook message from Joseph being like, ah, we got two Aussie puppies. And one of the first plants they got was our succulent. But the good news was that the dogs were not harmed after they got to Joseph's succulents. So that is good. Like I said, if you want plant and pet friendly, safe pets or uh, plants, go to ASPCA and the website and you'll see a list there, 404-872-0750. Taking a call from Terry in Stone Mountain. Good morning, Terry. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing today? Great. How are you this morning? I'm great. My question was, um, I want to start growing some herbs, and I was wondering, is it too early to start now? And two of the main ones that I wanted to do was basil and cilantro, 
And I want to know where they're easy to grow and can I do them now? Yes, they they are easy, Terry. I love that you've already got some in mind. And like I said, it just really depends on your palate and what you have a taste for. You know, don't grow herbs, folks, if you don't cook a lot or maybe, you know, you can put them in cocktails. Um, but yeah, grow what you like to eat. So cilantro is easy. Basil is a really popular one and a great one to start off with. Uh, rosemary, a lot of folks like that with chicken and potatoes, and that's an evergreen perennial. So that's one of those that if you plant it in a nice big pot, you're going to be able to move it in and out as the weather gets colder and warmer, but it's a perennial, so it's always going to come back. Uh, sage, thyme, there's a lot of mints on the market as well, Terry. I think my mother-in-law had like a pineapple mint um, in her raised beds. There's a chocolate mint, and man, you just walk by that rip one of the leaves off, rub it in between your fingers, and it does. It smells like pineapple or chocolate, depending on which one you get. So for right now, you can start them from seed. Uh, Indoors, you just probably need to have a grow light, uh, a fluorescent light, to make sure they're getting plenty of sun. You've got to have full sun, so even an eastern-facing window. um, And sometimes that's not even sufficient enough. So if you can do them on the counter tops in the kitchen, um, start off with a light. And if you don't have a whole you know, big area for the setup because this does require a lot of space. Uh, Aero Garden, that's a that's a brand name. A-E-R-O, Aero Garden, is really a fantastic little thing on the market. And they send you, you know, the, the actual system in which you can grow the herbs, the little pods that are ready to go. It's got the light attached. It's got the light at the right height. And you can grow them that way. But otherwise, when you pot them up, you know, if you want to start them in the kitchen, you'll need small pots and you need like a good just pike planting mix or something like that. Like their potting in container soil is going to get you off to a good start there. They've got to have good drainage. So when you have pots, you know, that you've already got at home that maybe you haven't used for anything else, they've got to have that drainage hole in the bottom and a plastic tray underneath. So um, good drainage, a lot of sun. And the good thing about this, Terry, is you can start them right now in the kitchen in a really sunny room or under some grow lights. And then by the time the weather gets warmer, you're able to move them outside and they're going to be, you know, just growing really vigorously. The one thing I would warn against, um, and you can transplant them, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here, but you can transplant them into the garden if you choose to, if they're getting too big by April or May Plant them outside, and they're going to be just fine. Or you can keep them in the pots, have them on the deck, the patio, the balcony. Uh, But yeah, a word of caution about mint, though. Mint can go crazy. Uh, Mint will spread. So if you keep it in a pot, that's going to really keep it in check. But if you plant it out in the garden, it's going to grow pretty vigorously. So keep that in mind. But yeah, you go in with the cilantro and the basil. You go, girl. I think you can do it. Just uh, check in with me. Make sure you get a lot of full sun, good drainage in that uh, potting and container soil, and you are well on your way. Thanks for the good question. 404-872-0750. Much more of the show to go. I'll be right back. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. We are back halfway through the show. Good morning. It's Green and Growing. I'm Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB. Got some great calls ahead of us. Scott and Carrollton, a naturally aggressive mint vine and 
How to get rid of it. Yeah, we were just talking about mint and how crazy it goes. David and Tucker certainly going to talk to you here in a moment about sunflower seeds, what that does for squirrels, deer, birds. Um, And I have a great guest with me this morning who can actually maybe help us get to that here in just a moment, as I have teased to all of you. Jim Bearden is on with us, and a lot of you know Jim if you live in Cobb County. Cobb County 2020 Volunteer of the Year, does a lot of work on bluebird trails at Green Meadows Preserve, and you've been on the show once before, and Jim, you came back. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, Ashley. Thank you for having me. And I know Mickey Gasaway, our mutual friend, is listening, and that is actually how I found out about you. So, Mickey, thanks to you for uh, connecting Jim and I over a year ago. What a what a great friendship we've we've built, Jim, and you've been so knowledgeable and helpful to me along the way. I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you. So, tell folks where Green Meadows Preserve is located, and a little bit about what that space is. Green Meadows is located in West Cobb County. It's uh, just west of the Avenues West, 3780 Dallas Highway, Marietta, Georgia. It's on uh, Route uh, 20 West and Dallas Highway and the intersection of Old Hamilton Road. So Green Meadows is a Cobb County park. It was purchased by the Parks Department in 2008 from the Bullard family. It was the last family who owned it. It's 112 acres of uh, natural, undeveloped parkland of trails and meadows and uh, walking spaces and trees and open plains. And some historic buildings, too. Pretty neat. It does. It has the old Bullard house, which dates back to the 1840s. Um, the house has been restored uh, to the 1840s and 50s and, and being in the process of being furnished with furniture for those eras and up through the 1960s. It is now a uh, museum, and it's open to the general public on the uh, second Saturday of every month. Uh, tour at 10 o'clock and a tour at 11 o'clock, so it's open two hours. And I remember and, when I came out to this uh, area with you over a year ago and you showed me that house, like the, the glass in the windows is the true glass from, from when the home was built because it's that kind of wavy, you know, really thick-looking glass, and I just thought that was so cool. It's so historic. Yeah, when they restored it, they were able to keep a lot of the, the glass and a lot of the original wood and all the timbers, and most of the house has no nails, and it. it's all put together with pegs. Gosh. So it's kind of so unique. So this is an area you guys have to see out in West Cobb. Um, and then talk about, you know, your part in all of this and how long you've been involved in the Bluebird Trails and how that came about. There's a number of projects in the uh, park. There's a community garden, and that's how I first got started uh, by building out the raised beds in the community garden back in 2011, uh, fall of 2011. And then um, there's 79 uh, raised beds, and they're leased out to individuals on an annual basis, and people can grow whatever they would like. They can consume it, give it away to friends or fellow gardeners, or the only thing we ask is they don't use pesticides. Mm -hmm. It's organic garden. It's kind of neat. That's how I first got involved with the area and the park. And I can say you grow um, a pretty mean zucchini. You gave me a very large zucchini, <laughs> the biggest I've ever had, and it was amazing. Well, they were kind of crazy last year. And this year, <laughs> the eggplants out 
outdid the zucchinis, I think. So, so I got involved with the garden and um, just um, decided I wanted to be more involved. So I went through the UGA's extension program and became a master gardener in the class of 2011. I graduated, excuse me, 2012 and graduated in the spring of 2013. So that was kind of neat to learn a lot of things. You learn a lot that you don't think you ever knew. So it's a a great course to go through. So I saw bluebirds in the area. So I took an interest and kind of thought it'd be kind of neat because I grew up on a farm in the South. So I was familiar with bluebirds when I was a kid living on the farm. The spring of 2012, I put a, went to the Master Gardener's plant cell and purchased a nest box from a retired wood builder that I buy all of them from. And I, this is late in the year, it's April already. So I put it on the fence, which I was reluctant to do because if you put them on a fence or a tree, then you're opening yourself up to predators that uh, might get into the eggs or the birds or that want to harm them. But I put them up, put up one nest box in April and lo and behold, they, two or three days later, they'd already checking it out. (laughs) They started building a nest. They laid six eggs and the first year we had six bluebirds. So that was kind of the beginning, and then from there I got the idea to do a bluebird trail. So I went to parks and asked they're okay, and they didn't really know how far I was going to take it, I don't think. So I got started, and now the bluebird trail has 31 nest boxes and 10 feed stations with two feeders each. So I have 20 feeders out there that I supplement their food with dried millworms. But the first year we had six bluebirds this past um, even with the pandemic, we um, hatched 233 birds. Wow. And for the nine years ending in August of 2021, we have hatched and fledged just at Green Meadows 2,099 birds. Talk about making the world a better place. I mean, you are. With the work that you've done, 31 nest boxes, that's incredible. And it's a safe haven for bluebirds who are so beloved here in this area um, Jim, tell me what makes uh, a nest box, you know, for a bluebird different than just a standard birdhouse. What's the difference? Bluebirds only build a nest in a cavity, so their natural cavity would be a tree that's got a dead limb on it, or a dead tree in your yard that a woodpecker would make a hole in, and then the bluebird would take over that cavity and build the nest and raise their young, or uh, open pastures where you have fence. Uh, that are made with fence posts, real Mm -hmm. wood. And we used to make fence out of locust trees. And locust has a lot of knots in it. And when the trees dry, but locust is very hardwood, so it lasts a long time. So when those knots would dry, they would fall out, and then the birds would take over those cavities and build their nests. So that's why they're very, um, they're the most particular bird that I know. They like uh, very open spaces. That's why you see them out in open fields and pastures and gardens. And um, they do not like tree cover to build a nest. They will eat from a feeder under tree cover. But as far as building a nest, they like open spaces. It needs to be a cavity. And the nest boxes are even better than their natural cavities because they're drier and they're more safe and they're more predator-proof because I mount them all on the uh, predator guard. I I build these units in my garage. Yeah. And um, I've installed about 350 of them 
since I started this project throughout the state of Georgia. I uh, try to encourage people, if you have room in your yard, to uh, put up a suitable I call them nest box, but birdhouse. Well, now let's a, talk a, a about a nest box is different because a lot of people buy birdhouses at flower at garden shows and and art fairs, and mm-hmm. you can't open them, so you can't uh, check on the birds, and you can't clean them out after each brood, which you should do. Some of them have perches on the front of the box, which is not appropriate because if you have a perch on the box then you're going to get a mockingbird that's going to sit on the air and interfere with the bluebirds coming and going and feeding their young. So you never want to perch on the box. You want it about 10 yards from the nest box so that they have something to fly to, but um, not on the box itself. Okay. And let's talk about, so, you know, if I head to one of the nurseries or a craft show and I buy a nest box specific for bluebirds, Talk to me about properly mounting it, because I had always heard that even before I started hosting this show, it has to be facing a certain direction, maybe a certain height up off the ground. Like, what do they prefer that they're going to go straight to? They, it should be mounted on a, the ones I build, I put on a um, conduit that I build a predator guard that squirrels can't climb and snakes can't get up. And if they do, there's wire mesh in the top so they can't get through. Uh, so nothing can jump on it because it's in the open and the squirrels can't jump from a tree onto it. So squirrels can only jump about four and a half feet flat footed. So they can't <laughs> get up above the uh, predator guard. So it should have a hole in it that's inch and a half. Okay. That's the size that a bluebird prefers. They fit through that hole. Anything smaller, they don't fit through anything larger. You get different birds making nests in there. Um, it should be uh, mounted about five and a half, six feet high. It should face east because the reason it faces east is uh, we get the morning sun to help warm them up in the morning after a cold night. But biggest reason is we get less bad weather out of the east oh. than we do out of the other directions. So I usually point them all, thank goodness for iPhone compass, 112 degrees <laughs> southeast is pretty much what they're all facing. So the things I had heard were always true. Mm. And then as far as their dietary needs, uh, you did mention mealworms, which dried mealworms are fantastic. Uh, just natural, you know, things in nature, what do they eat? Their diet is um, 80% insects. They like insects, prefer insects. Um, then in the winter, they eat a lot of berries, certain berries. They love poke berries oh. off of poke salad. Um, so if you have a pokeweed in your yard and you can leave it, leave it for them. And when it gets ripe, they'll take those berries off. Uh, The berries on a dogwood tree, they love those. So there's, uh, their diet is uh, insects and berries. Uh, I do supplement their food with dried mealworms because it's a great source of protein. And over the years, I've learned that it has helped them uh, with laying more eggs because normally uh, they lay three to six eggs in a brood. They lay more eggs in the beginning of a nesting season than they do at the end. And their nesting season is in this area is from March through August. That was my next question. Okay, so right now they're just hanging out. They're not really, they don't have any babies they're taking care of. On sunny days, you'll see the male checking out the nest boxes for future uh, family raising. So it's his job to find the house 
And then he's got a whole song routine he goes through to get her to come check it out. A little dance routine. You'll see him if you if you study him as much as I have. You'll see their little wing flapping and dancing and trying wow. to get her to come check out the house. And once they do, they both start building a nest. And uh, they use pine straw to build their nest. And uh, takes them about a week. And then she starts laying the eggs. She lays one egg a day for as many as she's going to lay. Wow. Uh, anywhere from three to six. And then after going out and getting some mealworms and exercising, she starts sitting on the eggs because she's the only one that can incubate them. He has to feed her while she's sitting on the eggs. And then it takes 17 to 19 days for them to hatch. Um, the shells, she's a good housekeeper. She consumes the shells, which is a great source of calcium. Wow. And then cleans it out, all the waste sacks, and then... The birds, it takes them 17 to 19 days to develop. And then once they develop, they fledge to the perch that's either a man-made perch or a tree. And then from there, they stay up in the trees. So nesting in March now may be a great time to put up some of those nest boxes as they're checking out real estate. You can tell Jim Bearden here, my guest, has a lot of knowledge about bluebirds works out at Green Meadows Preserve. That's where you can find Jim. When we come back, Jim, I do have a question from a listener about sunflower seeds, and I know you know about other birds um, other than just bluebirds, so we'll talk to David and Tucker. And I want you to let folks know how they can learn more about some of the great pictures, videos, information you have. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with Jim Beard and my guest on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. So I am back with my guest, Jim Bearden, a volunteer and head of the Bluebird Trail at Green Meadows Preserve. Going to go ahead and punch Jim back up here. So he's on the line. And Jim, we're going to take a quick call from David in Tucker. Good morning, David. Welcome back to the show. Morning. Had a question about sunflower seeds because uh, shelled sunflower seeds are recommended because you don't have all that... um, stuff at the on the ground level but some birds like cardinals are i'm told prefer to shell their own seed Mm -hmm. so what do you do it sounds like catch 22 (laughs) what do you think jim well i prefer a a sunflower mix with other seeds if you're going to feed uh try to attract all different kinds of birds uh because Sunflowers are too big for some of the small birds, like the bluebirds. Uh, bluebirds will eat the uh, sunflower hearts without the shells, but you are correct. The cardinals do like to shell their own uh, sunflowers. Um, the hulls are the outer coating of the sunflower. Is a, if the feeder's in a <clears throat> good location, becomes a good source of mulch and fiber for the ground so i just leave it so um and the squirrels always manage to find one or two that the birds miss so you'll always have squirrels underneath your bird feeders if they're not on your bird feeders (laughs) so so there's no right or wrong way i always tell people that it's um if you can get a good bird seed mix, you're going to attract more different kinds of um, 
birds to your yard. Yeah, and make sure it's not all that millet, you know, those beige little bead <clears throat> balls. I mean, you've got to have something of substance, right, Jim? Some peanuts, some sunflowers. Right. You know, if even... you get peanuts, you get woodpeckers, and they love the peanuts. So. Yeah. And the sunflower seeds, David, to your point, are so important because of the oils and the birds needing the protein to kind of get through the winter. Um, so great question, as always. Thanks, David, from Tucker with that question. Now, Jim, I want to leave folks with how to find out more about you. You've got about maybe 30 seconds to tell folks where they can find out more. Well, you can, if you're on Facebook, try to find me on Facebook at Friends of Green Meadows uh, Preserve. I do quite a bit of uh, posting there. Uh, or Google me at the Bluebird Guy at Green Meadows. And you'll find a, a number of articles that have been published on uh, what we're doing. Um, the other one, you can go to my blog, thebluebirdtrail.blogspot.com. Which is so, I mean, such a good resource, Jim. And I've made it folks easy. When they come to my Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, there's a video of you and I together from a year and a half ago. There they can get in touch with you via your Facebook page or Friends of Green Meadows Preserve. Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Ashley. You too. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. We'll be right back. And I'm going to talk a little bit of citrus trees when we return at 8 o'clock. You're listening to WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.